there's a famous tale from my college rugby team, and although I've told it before, I just think it's absolutely hilarious. But in order to understand it, you have to be aware that most people who live outside of the United Kingdom have no idea whether or not England, Wales, and Scotland are different countries. Understandably so, it's a little bit complicated, but, but here's kind of the bottom line. In international law, they are all viewed as one sovereign state, the United Kingdom, and not as separate states. You got that? Well, here's the key piece for the story. This is all, really all you need to know, is when you travel between England and Wales and Scotland, you don't need any form of ID. It's an open border. However, not everyone knows this, especially a couple of Australian rugby players playing for my college team. For one game, the team headed from England to Wales to play Cardiff University. And just as they were nearing the toll bridge that separates uh, England and Wales, some of the English members of the team decided to play a little prank on their Australian teammates. They turned to them and they said, hey, you Aussies did remember to bring your passports, right? Suddenly, the Aussies panicked. <gasps> what do you mean, bring our passports? You didn't tell us we needed our passports. To which the Englishman replied, we're going to another country. Of course you need your passports. So Australians are really in a fluster now, wondering, oh my goodness, are we going to make the game? What are we going to do? So the Englishman said, there's only one thing for it. They went to the front of the bus, asked the bus driver to pull over, just shy of the, the toll booths, which of course look like immigration control booths, said to the Aussies, come on, get off, took them around the side of the bus, opened up the door where all the luggage was stored underneath, threw the Aussies in, slammed the door down, and drove off down the road. Well, good morning. Welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I'm a pastor here. If you didn't know, I'm from the United Kingdom. And as you probably know, a kingdom is a place where a king rules and reigns. The United Kingdom comprises four different nations united together under one king. Get it? United Kingdom. England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. No matter where you go in each of those four nations, King Charles is the king. It's his kingdom. He rules and reigns. Now, Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom, not the United Kingdom, where King Charles rules and reigns, but the kingdom of God, the place where God rules and reigns. In fact, the kingdom was the number one thing Jesus talked about. And we're going to hear him teach on it today in Luke chapter 17. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles, Luke 17. Grab your phones. It'll be on the screen as well. You may be most familiar with the concept of the kingdom from the prayer that we pray every Sunday here at Chapel Hill, what we call the Lord's Prayer. We pray that line, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray that prayer, we're saying, God, would you bring your rule and reign on earth just as it is in heaven? But when is that going to happen? When is God going to bring his rule and reign on earth just as it is in heaven? That's the question that's on the lips of some Pharisees who approached Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the word of the Lord. In the first century, Jews were living under Roman rule. The Holy Land was a Roman colony. However, based upon the scriptures, Jews 
first century Jews expected that one day God would send a king who would restore God's kingdom to Israel. And a group of Pharisees, who were a particular sect of first century Jews, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And Jesus' response was to tell them, well, actually, it already has happened. Jesus tells the the Pharisees, you haven't noticed it because the kingdom of God isn't coming in ways that are loud and obvious, but it's actually already arrived. It's right under your noses. Earlier this week, I was awoken in the middle of the night to the sound of a storm. I honestly have never heard heavier rain on my roof. And you know you have those like half awake, half asleep moments where your mind is thinking crazy things? I honestly was hearing the sound of the rain on my roof, and I said, did I get my roof replaced with a tin roof? Bizarre. It was just so loud. You know, when I woke in the morning, I didn't have to pull the curtains to know that the ground was going to be covered in water. I'd heard it during the night. I'd heard the rain. I knew there had been precipitation. But I thought to myself, do you know what? If that rain had been snow, I would not have been woken up at 1 a.m. Snow falls absolutely quietly. You can't hear it. It doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night. Yet it's precipitation. The, the only way I would have known that it had snowed is if I'd come downstairs, pulled back the curtains, and gone, whoa, it snowed in August. <laughs> Snowfall is precipitation, just like rainfall. But snowfall is not loud and overt. It's quiet and covert, and yet it just as surely leaves its mark on the ground. In the same way, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come, not in a a loud and overt way, but it has surely come. Like snowfall, rather than rainfall, the kingdom has come quietly, almost covertly. And how has it come? In the person of Jesus. Jesus is that promised king that the Jews were looking for. But Jesus wasn't a a political king who was going to inaugurate a kingdom that was going to reign over geographical places. No, he was a spiritual king who was going to inaugurate a kingdom that was going to reign in the lives of people. When Jesus says, verse 21, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, he's referring to himself. He's saying the kingdom of God is here right now in your midst because the kingdom of God has come through me. This is the first of what I think are four points Jesus makes in this passage about the kingdom of God. And here it is. The kingdom of God is now. God's reign on earth has come in the person of Jesus. He is God's chosen king through Jesus' ministry, God's kingdom has broken into this world. As Luke recorded Jesus saying back in chapter 7, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. This is what God's kingdom rule and reign looks like. Healing for the sick, freedom for the captives, good news preached to the poor. God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, now. And that's the first point Jesus makes about the kingdom. God's kingdom is now. 
But this begs the question, if God's kingdom is now, if God is ruling and reigning on earth, why does chaos still seem to have a grip on our world? Wildfires destroying entire cities, mass murders taking place in grocery stores and schools, ongoing war that continues to destroy nations, refugees seeking asylum via boat and drowning on the way there. Chaos appears to reign. So how can the kingdom of God be now? Well, Jesus goes on to answer that question. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. And Jesus said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So the first point Jesus made about the kingdom was that it is now. Here's the second point. The kingdom is not yet. You might say, how can God's kingdom be both now and not yet. Surely it either is or it isn't. And if that's puzzling to you, it was puzzling to the first century Jews as well. As I said earlier, Jews expected God's kingdom to come at a certain point in time. And when that, that time came, they expected God's chosen kingdom, Messiah, to inaugurate a new age, what we might call the age to come. Here, Nikki Gumbel illustrates it this way. As time, do I need to move this? Is it going to light up? There we go. As time is going on, the Jews expected that God's chosen king would come. And at that moment in time, God's people would be transitioned from this age to the age to come. But Jesus says, actually, that's not quite how it's going to work. Yes, indeed, Time is moving along. We have begun in this age, and God's chosen king has come. But he says the days are coming when you're going to long for one of the days of the Son of Man. He says that first, before those days come, the Son of Man must suffer rejection. Jesus is saying that although he has come, he is going to go away. He's going to die. He's going to raise from the dead. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. Although he has come once, his first coming, Jesus is saying there's actually going to be another point in time at which he comes again. And he's saying that at that point in time, we will enter into the age to come, at the second coming of Jesus. And this is very different from what the Jewish people were expecting. And Jesus says, you are about to enter this in-between time. This time when the, the kingdom of God is, is now, but it's also not yet. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated. The kingdom of God is, is here in principle, but it's not going to be fully realized until Jesus comes again. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says to his disciples in verse 22, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Okay, the Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself. He's saying, you're going to come into days 
where you're going to want the Son of Man to come back and consummate his kingdom, bring it in his fullness, and enter into that age to come. And right now, we live, the church, in this in-between times. The kingdom of God is now, and the kingdom of God is not yet. And this reality creates this really significant tension for all of us in our lives. I mean, we believe in a a God who heals. He's got the power to reign and rule over sickness. And yet, we've prayed for healing and we haven't experienced it. We believe in a God who, who brings freedom from sin. He can rule and reign over sin in our lives, set us free. And yet, we've asked for God to remove that that sin habit that we keep coming back to, and he hasn't removed it yet. We believe in a God of peace. He he can rule and reign over all of strife and anxiety, and yet we've prayed and said, God, give me peace, and yet every day we wake up with unremitting anxiety. Why? Why do these things happen? Why? Because God's kingdom is both now and not yet. God's kingdom has broken in. We've got a foretaste of what God's kingdom is like, but we haven't experienced it in its fullness. But here's the good news. That day will come. That day will come. Jesus promises he will come again. And when he comes again, you will know it. Jesus warns his disciples that some people are going to try and convince you, well, actually, Jesus has already come. This is how he puts it, verse 23. And they will say to you, look there or or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Jesus says when he comes again, it won't be in secret, like that first time when he came, like the snowfall. But when he comes again, it'll be loud and obvious, just like lightning flashing across the sky. In fact, later on, Jesus doubles down on this. At the the last verse of the chapter, verse 37, Jesus says, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Earlier this year, one of our members took a safari trip in Botswana, Africa, and he saw this. He saw a wake of vultures gathering on the ground. Now, Although you can't see the dead animal, you know it's there. Why do you know it's there? Because the vultures have gathered. It's, it's obvious there has to be a dead animal because you see the vultures. And in the same way, Jesus says, it's going to be obvious when he comes again. You're going to know about it. It's not going to be a secret. It's going to be plainly visible to all. All the signs will be there, differently from his first coming. Quiet, covert, born as a baby, breaking into this world like snowfall. Second coming, like lightning, Across the sky, everyone knows about it. He's here to rule and reign and consummate his kingdom. And so, as we live in this in-between times, as we long for that day, hold on. Yes, pray. Believe that God's kingdom can break into your life right now. Believe that freedom from sin is possible. Believe that he has the power to rule and reign over sickness in your life. Believe that he has the power to set you free from anxiety. But even if he doesn't know that one day he will, that all things will be restored one day. And you will know when that happens. It won't be a secret. You will know. And we will live under God's rule and reign in peace and justice forever. Nevertheless, 
Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that that exact day when he's going to come again will be a surprise. No one is, is going to be able to predict it. Let's keep reading verses 26 and following. Just as it was, Jesus says, in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus gives two examples of times when God came in judgment upon the earth during the days of Noah and the days of Lot. If you want to read those stories in full, you can find them in the opening chapters of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. But both stories follow a very similar pattern, as Jesus explains. People were going about life as normal. They were eating, drinking, marrying, buying, selling, planting, building, when all of a sudden, God moved in judgment. And Jesus is saying that the same thing will happen when he comes again for that second time. And this is the third point Jesus makes in this passage. So first, the kingdom of God is now. Second, it's not yet. Third, the kingdom of God is not predictable. We cannot predict when Jesus will return and God's kingdom will come in its fullness. It will happen in a highly visible way. Everyone's going to know that it's happened. No one's going to be unsure, but we don't know when it will happen. We cannot predict when God's kingdom will be consummated. Last weekend, our family went up to Mount Rainier National Park. It's been many years since we were up there. Our kids couldn't even remember the last time we were there. They were totally struck by the scale of Mount Rainier, and I was totally struck by the power that that volcano will exert when it finally blows. I stood there looking at the Nisqually River, which was really more of a stream at this time of year, and thinking about the lahars that are going to come down there and reap destruction and havoc on all the communities that are below them. You know, one day Mount Rainier will erupt. We just don't know when. And in the same way, Jesus will come again in judgment. We just don't know when. The coming of God's kingdom in its fullness will not be predictable. Our lives will be going on as normal right up until the day when Jesus comes again. And so, by implication, we must be ready and this leads us to the fourth and final point that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom in this passage. Let's read the last few verses of the passage, verse 31 onwards. On that day, Jesus says, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpses? There the vultures will gather. In July this year, in the state of Vermont, a family was awoken in the middle of the night to their house burning down. Thankfully, all the members of the household were able to escape the fire and get outside. However, one of the residents, a 77-year-old man named James LeCount, 
chose to go back into the house to get his car keys in the hope of saving his car. The house collapsed and LeCount never returned. Police later found his body in a bedroom on the first floor. It's a tragic story. But here's what astounds me. This man would give his life to try and save not, not another human or even a, another living being like a pet, an animal, but to save a car, a material possession. It's so sad. And yet Jesus says right here, when he comes again, people will be tempted to do the same thing. People will be on their housetop. For, for context, first century Palestinian homes had flat roofs with staircases on the outside. It says people will be on their housetop. And they'll be tempted to go down and get their material goods from their house. Similarly, people will be in the field and they'll be tempted to go back to their house and go and get their stuff. Jesus will have come. Everyone will know about it. The earth is going to be ending as we know it. And yet, some people are going to want to go and get their stuff. Why? This is the final thing Jesus teaches us about the kingdom. First, the kingdom's now. Second, it's not yet. Third, it's not predictable. And fourth, the kingdom of God is not of this world. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. In fact, it's far more valuable, far greater than anything that this world can offer. And there is no point taking the things of this world into God's consummated kingdom. And therefore, we should seek God's kingdom above all other things in this world. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She was in the process of being saved from the destruction that was coming on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did she do? She turned back. She turned into a pillar of salt and died. This is how Jesus concisely expresses his point in verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Now that word preserve means to, to make secure for oneself. Make yourself secure. In this context, Professor James Edwards says it implies a reliance on the bitter end to possessions and, earth, uh, possessions and earthly comforts. Jesus is making a crucial point right here. He's telling us that if we seek to preserve our life, if we seek to make ourselves secure, if we seek to rely until the bitter end on possessions and earthly comforts, we will lose our life. If we go back to the house to grab our stuff, we will die. If we place our security and trust in physical things, in the end, those things will fail us. Jesus goes on to say, it may come as a surprise who's going to put their trust or who has put their trust in God and who has not. He says, it's not the outward appearance of people that's going to tell you whether a person is, is trusting in God or not. He says, two people are going to be sharing one bed and one will be, will be taken, just like the people were taken in the days of Noah in judgment, were taken in Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment, and one's going to be left. Two people are going to be working in the mill Look, look the same from the outside. They've both got the same job, and yet one is going to be taken, 
and the other one is going to be left. Jesus says it's not an outward appearance that's going to make the difference. It's actually something on the inside, something that can't be seen. Where are we putting our trust? Where are we putting our hope? Where are we placing our security? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in the things of the kingdom of God? God's kingdom is not of this world. We've got to relinquish our grasp on the things of this world, or it might be too late. We might be so used to holding on to the things of this world that when that day comes, it's going to be too late and we're going to grab for it anyway. When my wife Rachel and I first moved to Gig Harbor from the UK, we packed up all our stuff that we owned into a box truck. We drove it to where we were going to store it and we kept two suitcases that we were going to bring with ourselves to the US. We left everything else behind. I remember the moment we drove away from our apartment, all the stuff in the box truck, you know, packed up your whole life. Could have been a a moment where you start to panic, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness, what am I doing? But it wasn't. It was this moment of a profound sense of freedom. The the blessedness of possessing nothing, or almost nothing. Of realizing that we were, we were letting go of all our stuff in pursuit of the call of God. I often come back to that moment and I ask myself, would I do it again? I, I own a lot more possessions now, 12 years later. <laughs> There's a lot more that's at stake. We have two kids. We have a house. We have cars. But I ask myself the same question, would I leave it all behind again? for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I wonder if you would ask yourself the same question. Would you be willing to leave behind all your stuff, all the things of the kingdom of this world, for the sake of Jesus? Because one day, you're going to have to. And if you aren't willing to let go of everything, what's holding you back? What is that What are those car keys that you're going to go back into the house to get when the fire comes? What's that one thing that you're holding on to tightly that if Jesus said, I want you to give that up, you would fight? What is that? The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is not yet. It's not predictable when it's going to come in its fullness, and it's not of this God's kingdom's been inaugurated in the person of Jesus, but it's not come in its fullness yet. One day it will. It will happen, guaranteed. Jesus will come back, but we don't know when that's going to happen, and therefore we have to be ready. And God's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. So if we are caught holding on to the stuff of this world, the, the things that will just pale into insignificance in comparison to, to the weight of glory that is to be revealed. If we are left holding on to our stuff, Jesus says, if we seek to save our life, we will lose it. So what do you need to let go of? What are you holding on to too tightly? Where are you not putting your trust and security in God? Let's take that to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you broke into this world, that your kingdom has begun to rule and reign. And we look forward to that day when you will come again. We look forward to the day when all will be set right. We will live in resurrected bodies without sickness or disease on on a new earth where there'll be no more death, no more suffering, in perfect harmony and unity with one another and in peace and justice forever. We know that that's on a day of your appointing. The Father knows the day, but not even the Son knows the day. But Lord, haste the day. In the meantime, we pray that you would help us to identify where we are holding on too tightly to the things of this world. And Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to relinquish our grasp on the things of this world so that we may may be able to fully give ourselves to your kingdom. Lord, you are greater than all the things of this world. And we choose to give you ourselves, our lives, our worship, our praise. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Jesus